How about week two? Give it up for Adam Bender once again, everybody. Good job, Adam. Adam's a pastor on staff. He recently won the lottery and did the responsible thing, bought supercars. <laughs> I'm just joking, of course. I do want to let you know that we have borrowed all of these cars from members of our own church, and so we're thankful for them, allowing us free of charge to borrow their wonderful toys. Yeah, and before you get all judgmental about a Christian owning a supercar, I would love to let you know as a pastor that they give far more percentage-wise of their income to the kingdom than most will ever give in their lifetime, and they are blessed, and God has blessed them in return. And if that doesn't work for your theology, that's all right. Welcome, everybody, to part two of this series called Zero to 60. I want to say hello to all of our campuses, our church family watching online through itownchurch.com, all the correctional facilities across the state, and the hundreds of people crammed in the lobby here at the Olson Farms campus. Come on, everybody, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other to church today. It's great to have you. Grab something to take some notes with uh, today. Our theme verse is Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. We'll get to that, and then we'll talk about the car behind me. It says, glory belongs to God, whose power is at work in us, and by this power, he can do infinitely more. Come on, say that with me, infinitely more. One more time, infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. So we started this series the week after Easter because so many of us are making a fresh dedication to follow Christ and kind of renewing our relationship with him. And we wanna be all that God's called us to be. We wanna go from zero to 60. And sometimes we feel like it's gonna take a long time for us to get there. And the whole idea of the series is that you can get there and much farther, probably faster than you ever dreamed possible. God wants to do infinitely more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. But we have to have the right keys. And the first week, we talked about how we need fuel in the tank. Don't pass up the filling station. That's the Holy Spirit. We have to be filled with the power of God to live this life that God has called us to live. Today, we're gonna take another step and talk about the second key that will make us successful. But first, we have to talk about this beautiful machine that is behind me. Now, I grew up in a family that always idolized Ferraris. We didn't own one, but my dad was a Ferrari fan. And kind of in life, you pick, if you're a car family, at least mine, you pick one car company and that's the one you love and everyone else is the competition. So for us, Ferrari was the gold standard. I had a picture of a Testarossa on my wall that said underneath of it, man was meant to fly. I have always wanted to go fast. Ricky Bobby for life, let's go fast. I just wanna go fast. And so this is obviously my dream car because this is the highest powered V8 Ferrari that's ever been street legal in the history of the company. This has a twin turbocharged V8 because you need two turbos on your V8 to really make it perform the way you want it to. And it has 710 horsepower, goes zero to 60 in 2.7 seconds. So this is one of the fastest street legal vehicles that's actually a vehicle. I know you have those things out there that have batteries in them that go faster, but we don't call those cars because they don't make noise. We will not be including those in this series, just so you know. So, praise the Lord for oil and gasoline and all the wonderful things that make a car what it is. Tim the Toolman Taylor, you just gotta get, rah, 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 you know. This sounds every bit of a Formula One car, 
And it really is. Honestly, just to geek out for a minute, usually uh, Ferrari kind of takes their car, whatever the modern one is, it's the 488 GTB that this is built off of, and then they kind of supercharge it and, and make it that amazing car. So the 458 was the car before this. The 458 Special is the one that the Pista actually replaced. But Pista in Italian actually just means track. So this is the 488 track car. Instead of taking the 458 Special and putting all of those components in this, they took the 458 Challenge, which is actually the track car and completely illegal to drive on the streets, and they put all that technology into this car. So this is a barely legal street vehicle. It's actually built for the track, and I can just imagine myself sliding around the roundabouts in Fishers, Indiana, Really honoring the Lord with this beautiful piece of technology, <laughs> which is probably why I will never ever get to drive it, just so we're all clear. But Ferrari loves the details. These, of course, are 20 inch rims, just like the ones last week, but they're not as wide. Lamborghini's known for their very fat tires. If you remember last week, the back tires on that were 355. These are just 305 with stacked with 245 in the front. But little details I love about the Ferrari are things like this whole stripe in the center that lets you know this is a piece that's unique to this vehicle. It's actually painted on at the factory. That's not a decal or a sticker that they put on after the fact. And inside of the hood of the Ferrari is a plaque that has every detail of the car from the manufacturer. So if anybody changes anything about the car, you'll know it because it's not engraved on the plaque inside. It tells you the exact color and all the specifications down to the color of the brake calipers. Most of this car is built out of carbon fiber. You see the rocker panels, almost the entire engine compartment. They dropped a couple hundred pounds out of the 488 GTB when they made this car, which is what makes it so much faster. As beautiful and amazing as this car is, it really just represents the heart and soul of the Ferrari company, which is where we're going today. Enzo Ferrari began Ferrari not to make amazing sports cars. In fact, he never intended to make a single sports car. His passion was racing. He loved racing. In fact, he himself was a race car driver. He wasn't unbelievably successful, winning about 13 of the 47 races that he raced in as a driver himself. But he had a passion for racing. And he only began to make sports cars as a concession to raise more finances to fund his passion for the Formula One team or the, uh, the Grand Prix team that he was actually in charge of and investing his life into. And so today, from that perspective, I want to talk to you about the second most important component. You have your relationship with Christ. We started that at Easter. All things become new. God takes you from a Toyota Tricel and makes you a supercar. Last week, we talked about how God makes you a Lamborghini. You can have unlimited potential, but you need the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. Today, I want you to see that you're not gonna be successful in life if you don't have the right team that surrounds you. You gotta have a group of people that are surrounding you in life that help you live the life God's called you to live. So from the aspect of this whole racing concept, I wanna show you three different groups that have to be present on race day in order for the race of life to be successful. Jot these down. Number one, the first thing you're gonna have to find is a good crew chief. Now, obviously, that title is different in every form of racing, Formula One, NASCAR, IndyCar, Grand Prix. They all have a different name for that position. But basically, what this just represents in life is leadership. 
you got to have some leadership in life. The crew chief, of course, is in charge of building and managing the team, coming up with the strategy for race day, when you'll pit, when you'll change the tires, how the fuel will be consumed. And then there's a concert of leaders who surround that individual. You have engineers that are tweaking the car and making sure the aerodynamics are right and that the wear on the tires are right. And then you have spotters who actually are watching the track and seeing where the fast places are and where people are crashing and where the possible passage points could be. Letting you know what's happening on the track as the driver so that when you come up on a situation, you're prepared to be successful. You see, every one of us needs leadership in life. Proverbs chapter 15 says it this way in verse 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. There's a lot of truth in that verse. First of all, you need to see that the Bible tells you you should plan. Don't just live day to day. Have a plan for your marriage. Have a plan for your finances. Have a plan for your life. Where do you want to be in five or ten years? Let God help you dream about the future. But then make sure that you get some counsel in life, that you submit those plans to people that you love and trust, who can give you good advice. And I love the fact that it says that there should be many advisors. One of the things that's strange to me that seems to be unique to Christianity is people love to get like one mentor, get one person to tell them how to live their life. I'm going to have one person tell me how to do everything in life, and it's kind of weird, to be honest. It's almost like witchcraft. Like, I just get this one person that's telling me how to do everything in life. One person doesn't have all the knowledge that you need. The Bible says you need many advisors. You have to surround yourself with lots of godly counsel. And Kate and I have lots of different pastors and leaders and couples that we look to for wisdom and advice. And we don't take all the advice of any one person, but we too take advice from everybody in the circle because we want to make sure that we make wise decisions. But we put our plans in front of the group of people that we trust and we get all the different kinds of feedback, and then guess what we do? We let the Lord speak to us and the Holy Spirit to guide us, and we use the brain that God gave us, and we make an actual decision for ourselves. And I want you to have that process in life. You gotta be able to hear from people, you have to be able to process what they're saying, and then you have to hear from the Holy Spirit and make a wise choice for your life. Have some plans, get some godly counsel, and then make sure that there are people that are qualified to advise you. When you look at people that occupy the positions of engineers and spotters and crew chiefs, they're usually people that have been drivers in the past. They're people that have been around the track for a long time. They have lots of wisdom and knowledge and understanding of road conditions and of race conditions and the situation that you're in. They know what you're going through. In other words, don't let your high school dropout buddy tell you whether or not you should buy that new car. That's probably a terrible person for advice. Don't let your single person that's been through 15 failed relationships give you marriage advice. Come on, somebody. They don't know what they're talking about. Look at the fruit of their lives and make sure that they have what you want. Show me the people you surround yourself with and I'll show you your future. You gotta make sure that you have godly, wise counsel with people that are down the road that have been successful young people. That's why God gave you parents. Not because they're outdated and weird and embarrass you. No, they're there because they're actually very wise and the older you get, the smarter they'll become. I promise you that. If you'll listen to them now, you'll skip a decade of pain if you'll just let them speak into your life. Come on, parents, back me up here. Trying to help you out. So that's why God has built this construct of leaders, of godly counselors, of pastors, teachers, coaches, the types of people that he wants to place into our lives. Then we need to make sure that we're in a place that we're humble enough to receive their advice. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 10, where there is strife, there is pride. 
But wisdom is found in those who take advice. You see, sometimes in life, we're just a little bit too stubborn. And we don't let the right people have a voice into our lives. And so we fight against it. And the Bible says when there's that conflict taking place, there's pride that's causing it. You think you know better than everybody else. And the truth is you probably don't. And that didn't serve Mr. Ferrari well. He had a pride issue that actually got him in trouble early in life and created a lot of competition for him. Some of you may know the story, but Mr. Lamborghini was a very successful tractor salesman, and he built a tractor empire in Italy, and he built some of the finest tractors the world has ever seen, some big and some small. He was a very flashy man, and so as he built his company of success, he decided he would go down to Ferrari and he would buy two cars. He bought one white for his wife and one black for himself, matching vehicles. And every time he was close to inking a deal, he would take those clients to lunch in his Ferrari to wow them and to get them to sign on the dotted line for their very expensive tractor. Problem was, Mr. Lamborghini was a terrible driver and he kept grinding the clutch and he blew out the clutch like seven or eight times in his Ferrari. Finally, he got so sick of taking the car back and spending thousands of dollars to have it repaired that he just had his own mechanics rip the car apart, and he was like, we're just going to replace this clutch in-house. I'm so tired of going back to Ferrari. Well, they broke the car down, and much to his dismay, he found out that the clutch in his Ferrari was not some type of custom high-end clutch that Ferrari was making. It was just a run-of-the-mill, publicly available, standard clutch that he himself was buying and putting in some of his cheapest tractors. He was very upset about it for two reasons. Number one, he felt like Ferrari's quality should have been a lot better. And number two, he was really mad because basically he was paying five or $6,000 in modern day currency for a part that was about 10 bucks. And so he was really mad at Mr. Ferrari for having taken advantage of him. So he goes back to Enzo with his car and he says, look, I just want you to know you build the finest cars on earth. I've loved owning a Ferrari, they're beautiful. But you have put a garbage clutch in your car. Why are you putting cheap parts, cheap tractor parts in your beautiful sports car? And Ferrari said, if you think you can build a better car, I dare you to try. Because I know what I'm doing. You stick to tractors and farming and I'll stick to sports cars. And Lamborghini said, I'll show you. And the race began and they become bitter enemies. And obviously Lamborghini took a large portion of Ferrari's market because Ferrari was too prideful to listen to the advice of somebody who actually had good counsel. So the question I have for you today is who am I listening to? Do you have a crew chief in your life? Do you have some people, godly counselors that have the opportunity to speak wisdom over you, that help you navigate the roads of life. People that have been where you're going and can speak truth to you. Number two, you're going to have to have a good pit crew. You need a team of people that are surrounding you when you're in kind of the trenches of life. This is the day-to-day -day operations. You're going to have some friends that you're going to need to rely on. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, you are members of God's own family, but you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Two things I want you to see. First of all, when you become a Christian, you're automatically a part of God's family. The big C church is what we call it. You're a part of the family of God, and that's universal across all the entire world. Everybody that proclaims Jesus is Lord. We're in the family of God. We're related, brothers and sisters in Christ, the Bible says. But then this text goes on to say, but also you are a part of God's family, which means you need to be in a house you got to be in a household. A household is a local expression or what we call a local church 
one individual arm of the Big C Church. I-Town and our many campuses is an arm of the big part of the body of Christ. So I want you to see here that it's not enough just to be in the family of God. You need to be in the household of God. You need to have your roots down somewhere. you got to have some godly relationships with people that you're doing life together. You don't want to be the kind of Christian that goes to church once or twice a year and watches Joel Osteen on Sunday and call that church. I love Joel Osteen. I think he's amazing. Praise God for him being on television and for the millions of souls he saved. But that's not church. you got to be involved, engaged in biblical relationships and in a spiritual house where you can use your gifts. So I want to encourage you, find a place where you can put your roots down. It doesn't have to be I-Town. We'd love to have you here. But my goal isn't that you come to I-Town. My goal is that you go to heaven. And so if there's another expression that's better for you, knock yourself out. There's a lot of amazing churches in town but you got to find the one that fits you and your family. Put your roots down and be a part of relationships. Get in circles here at I-Town. Find some godly relationships and then find some people that you can do life together serving alongside of because all of us actually are interdependent. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 says it this way. As each part, speaking about the parts of the body of Christ, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The key is that each and every one of us identify and engage in what makes us special. Now, if you're a race fan, you know that when a car comes into the pit stop, there's a lot of details that have to happen. And we are mostly a race community because we have the greatest spectacle in racing right here in our own backyard and providing nobody messes it up this year, we'll get to have a race. And some of us at least will get to go, praise the Lord. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Well, whenever I get to go to the race, which I don't get to go every year, but from time to time I'll go, I love watching the pits because when the car comes into the pit stop, it's amazing to watch the excellence of those teams and how every person has a job. It's fascinating to watch because it's a beautiful picture of the church. Every person has an individual role. You got one person that changes the front left tire, one person that changes the back left tire, one person that changes the front right tire, one person that puts in the fuel. I mean, they all have their own individual tasks and every one of them are an expert at it. But every one of them need to love their job, be dedicated to their job, be excellent at their job because the entire team needs every job to be done. They're all relying on one another. I think too many times in the body of Christ, we think we're Lightning McQueen. Man, I can run this race by myself, and I don't need all these support casts. I don't need people filling my tank, and I can do it on my own. But the reality is, every one of us needs each other. Our relationships are interdependent. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two people are better off than one because they actually help each other succeed. My success breeds your success, and your success breeds my success, and the truth is, if you're not succeeding, then neither am I, and if I'm not succeeding, then neither are you, because we all need each other. You see, the race car driver has to win for there to be money to pay the team, but the team has to win for the race car driver to be able to win. If the team's not doing their job changing the tires, the car can't win. If the car can't win, the race team can't get paid. Y'all see how everybody has to do their job together so that everybody wins together, and the same thing's true in the body of Christ. We all have to do our own job. We have to find our own role, but what would happen if half the race team is sitting on the wall going, hey, I'm just here for the race? I'm just going to watch today. I'm not going to participate. I don't want to do my thing. I just want you to do your thing, and we're going to sit here and watch. 
Well, you'd find that the church would be hurting, and it is because we got too many Christians that are sitting on the wall in the race of life going, hey, y'all are doing a good job. It's wonderful to watch. It's fun to be a part of, but I'm not actually going to participate. No, we need you in the race. There is a role for you to play, and every one of us together can make a difference. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, who am I surrounded by? Who's on my team? And it's very important that you have the right ones. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 says, serve one another in love. You see, we're interconnected. I'm going to serve you. You're going to serve me. We're going to make a difference together. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. But then he gives us this warning. If you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. One of my greatest pet peeves in the body of Christ is that the church, especially in America, spends more time fighting itself than it ever does fighting the devil. I'm tired of Christians knocking other Christians. I'm tired of Christians and churches attacking other churches. The Bible says you can't have people in your life that are biting and devouring each other. Be careful or you'll be destroyed by them. Now, there's a difference between iron and sharpening iron and devouring one another. And so in life, we have to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and learn to know the difference between who's supposed to be in the crew and who's actually a critic. And sometimes you got to get rid of the critics in life. Sometimes you have to let your life graduate beyond those relationships. you got to know who's in the crew. And actually, Mr. Ferrari did an amazing job with that because in the late 50s, one of his sons passed away tragically. And like many of us in his grieving process, he started to withdraw Enzo began to become disconnected from his race team and from his company, from the operations. He was still in the office. He just wasn't fully engaged. And in his absence, his wife jumped in, and she became his voice in the, in the entire uh, corporation. She started to walk the assembly line. She started to get involved in sales. She started to look at the race team. She started to get involved in the business. Well, the guys that were there, they didn't like her leadership. They didn't like the way she spoke to him. They just didn't like her presence. And so a bunch of them joined together and actually signed a petition together with the help of a lawyer that let Mr. Ferrari know that if he didn't remove his wife from operations and from being involved in their lives, that they were all going to stage a walkout on his company. And it was the top engineers, the leader of his Formula One team, the leader of his GT team, all of his top engineers, his top business guy, a bunch of key successful players within the company. And Mr. Ferrari, the legend goes, had his normal business meeting that morning with all the leaders that were involved in the company. And of course, those eight were in the room. And he just conducted business as usual, never even mentioned the letter. After the meeting, his secretary grabbed those eight guys, whisked them over to the side, handed them each an envelope that had one month's salary of cash inside. And she said, there's the back door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Don't ever come back again. You're not welcome here. And the world looked at that in 1961 and said, Ferrari's done. He's lost all of his great engineers, all of his designers, the world-class crew that were making them successful. They're all gone. They were in the middle of redesigning several of their cars, and the world said Ferrari's finished. And yet, he brought in two lead engineers that history now has credited with all of the designs that actually put Ferrari on the map and made them a championship team and an exotic car company that was to be desired. It was the eight people leaving that opened the door for the right people to come that made Ferrari the success that we know he is today. Because he knew, hey, if you're not with me, that's fine. If you want to do it a different way, you can try it, but not in this company. 
There's the door. You can go somewhere else. And you can have that authority in your life to say, you know what? This is my life. This is my race to run. I get to choose. And it doesn't feel like you're bringing me constructive criticism. It feels like you're just trying to bite and devour. That feels destructive. And I'm going to move on from here. You're welcome to bring that criticism to someone, but it's not going to be in my life. You can say that somewhere, but you can't say it here. I'm going to move on. You could be one or two relationships leaving your life away from the greatest breakthrough that you've ever dreamed of in your life. You just got to have the confidence of building the right team around you. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You got to make sure you have the right leadership. You got to have the right coaches. You got to have the right crew chiefs. You got to have the spotters that are telling you, hey, you're headed for a disaster. There's a wreck coming in turn two. I know that you're driving great right now, but if you don't slow down, there's problems coming. You got to have some wisdom. And then you got to have people around you that are saying, hey, I'll put fuel in your tank, and I'll wipe the dirt off your windshield, and I'll help you get a new perspective, and I'll encourage you that you're still on the right track, and God is for you, and life is okay, and we've got your back. We'll help change your tires. We're in this together. you got to have a team of people around you. But we have to have all of that because we have proven over the last year that all sporting events stink unless there are people in the stands. Number three, you just got to have the crowd. You got to have them. They're why we have sports in the first place. And so great sporting events have great crowds. That's why we have the greatest spectacle in racing, because we have the biggest crowd that anybody's ever seen that actually comes to the race. And race teams understand that. Advertisers understand that. That's why they buy the opportunity to put their label on the side of the car, because they know if this car runs with excellence, if this car shines in the race, People want to be associated with that excellence. They want to be associated with a winner, and they'll want to buy that product. That's why Nike did the most brilliant thing ever and signed the best basketball player to ever live, because it's never too late in a message to mention that Michael Jordan was the best basketball player of all time. If you don't agree with me, that just means you're under 40 and you need to go back and watch the tapes. He didn't have to skip through four or five franchises and get all these blockbuster deals and have eight different celebrities. He took one franchise and made it great. And he stayed there until that little thing with the Wizards at the end that we'll all forgive, because he's Jordan. I want to be like Mike. Stop distracting me. The point is that there's a crowd. There's a crowd of people who are watching your life today, and I just want you to know, you're driving the Ferrari of faith, and Jesus is on the side of your car, and how you perform in the race will determine if you draw people to him or drive people from him. How are you representing the Lord in the way that you're living your life? Jesus said it this way, let your light shine before others, that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There should be a correlation with the way you live your life, the way that you're running your race, and the attraction to your life. There should be something about your marriage, something about the way you're raising your kids, something about your career, something about your finances, something about your joy, your disposition, your character. There should be things about you that the world goes, man, I don't know what you have, but I want it. I want to be around it. Because we're a light to a world that so desperately needs it. The question we have to ask ourselves is, who am I reaching? In the great race of life, there are always people watching. Who am I reaching? Paul said it this way as we close. So run to win. 
Run your race to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training, but they do it for a prize that will fade away. Look, I don't know Mr. Ferrari's relationship with the Lord, but he's in eternity somewhere. He's either spending eternity with God or eternity apart from God. But the reality is, he was a very gifted, passionate man that gave his life to motorsports and to build beautiful vehicles. But as beautiful as this car is, it's just a possession that will burn. As great as all of his trophies and accolades are, it will all be forgotten and his life will be forgotten. The only thing that matters in this life is actually what we do for the life to come. Paul says we're running our race for an eternal prize because the way that I live my life has nothing to do with the things of this earth. It has everything to do with the life to come. And I want to run my race in such a way that people would look at my life and say, I want what you have. I want a marriage like yours. I want to raise kids like yours. I want to be blessed like you. I want to have discipline like you. I want my life to be changed like you because the message of the gospel is if God can touch and resurrect my life, he'll do for the same for you because he is no respecter of persons. It's never too late to become who you might have been. God has great plans in store for your life because His power that's at work on the inside brings dead things to life. You can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine, not because you try hard, but because of His power that's at work on the inside of you. This is the message of the gospel. It's the good news that leads people to repentance. And it's why at Itown we say we'll do anything short of sin to win God's lost kids, including putting a Ferrari on the stage. Because we want to win lost people for Jesus and drive religious people crazy. There is an eternal prize. And when I cross into heaven, I want my maker to say, well done. You did everything you could. You leveraged all you have to win as many people as possible because that is the only thing that matters in this life. So church, we have to run with purpose in every step. Nothing that we do in this life should be by accident. Let's make sure we're surrounded by the right leadership, the right wisdom that's helping us with godly counsel. Let's make sure we get the right crew in the pits, that we dismiss the wrong people from life that are trying to bite and devour us, and that we get the right people around us supporting us, and that each and every one of us are engaged doing our part. Why? Because whether you like it or not, they're watching. The whole world is watching to see if this thing is real. The whole world wants to know if they can have what you have. And the answer is yes. Sin doesn't work. Our nation is hurting. And Jesus is always the answer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a moment before we go to pray over you that God would strengthen your relational life in all these areas that we've talked about. But first, I want to pray with those of you who are here today and maybe you went too fast into turn two and you crashed, man. Your life feels like it's on fire. You didn't have the right relationships protecting and counseling and surrounding and lifting and now today you feel isolated and alone, maybe hopeless, discouraged. The truth is Jesus wants to come and rescue you from all the pain and chaos that you might be experiencing in life. The Bible says that when we trust in him, he makes us into a brand new person that a new life begins. And you can have all these relationships we're talking about, but the most crucial relationship in life is the one with Him, to surrender our lives to Him. And I don't know how you got there today, but I just want you to know God's not mad at you for your life. He's not mad at you for wandering from Him or for never knowing Him. He's not mad at you for the sin that has trapped you. The truth is, 
He just wants to forgive you and set you free. If you'll just surrender to him, he'll make you brand new. We can do that together in a very simple prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to have you come to the front. This is between you and the Lord. But no matter where you're watching today, I would love for you to take a bold step of faith to say, Dave, that's me. Would you count me in? Just by lifting your hand up high. Come on right now. Just say, count me in. I need Jesus. Yeah. All over the place. That's awesome. Man, I'm so proud of you. Yes, 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 yes. That's amazing. All of our campuses overflow. You can put your hands down. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You can repeat these words after me. Quietly in your heart. It's between you and the Lord. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. For all of my sin, I repent. I place my trust in you. And I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, I'm so thankful for every person here. I pray that you would surround us with great leadership, people we can trust, and that you'd help us to accept their wisdom. God, we pray for great relationships. Help us to find good spiritual community with the people around us. God, we thank you for a world that's watching. As we leave this place, help us to be reminded of the fact that what we do matters, that we're to be a light to the world around us, Father. We thank you that revival can come just by the way that we simply live our lives. We thank you today for the power of the Holy Spirit empowering us every step of the way. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless. You.